Welcome to the Ethics Experts, where we're elevating ethics and compliance, and HR, to the strategic level it's supposed to be. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Ethics Experts. I'm your host, Giovanni Gallo. This uh, episode is brought to you by Compliance Line. And at The Ethics Experts, we want to welcome you to the show. We're here to elevate risk and compliance in HR professionals to the strategic leaders they are meant to be. And if it's your first time joining the show, welcome. And if you're a repeat listener or a subscriber, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. And that's what you're going to get with every single episode of The Ethics Experts if you subscribe. That extra special welcome on each show. So hit that subscribe button, share it to your friends, and they'll get the welcome as well. Um, I'm super excited to uh, be joined today by Bob Shuttler. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad you could join us. So um, Bob is currently a compliance and ethics professional at Kavco. Um, at Cavco, they uh, you do um, manufactured housing, right? That's correct. We have um, at this point twenty six factories around the U.S. Uh, we do manufactured homes, um, park models. So if you go to a KOA and those little tiny cabins, yeah, uh, good chance that's probably one of ours. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, super interesting industry um, with an interesting footprint, and I'm sure um, you know uh, a, a mix of things that you're covering from a compliance and ethics standpoint which we can get into. But to start out, this is the ethics experts, Bob, and we want to learn about ethics experts. And we love starting with telling us, you know, we'd love to hear a little bit about your your story and your career path. So how did you end up in compliance and ethics? Uh, I always answer that the same way, poor life choices. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I started out in the, in the trade function, uh, um, international licensing compliance uh, years, you know, gosh, over 20 years ago now. And just um, throughout my career, started you know did the licensing side, you know started delving into the compliance side, and, you know looking to you know the audits, assessments, investigations, mm-hmm. meandered back to the licensing side, um, and you know really just had a had a knack. I almost almost say it's a it's a knack for distrusting people. Okay, um, that healthy and, skepticism, you know, huh? That that's right. I, my <laughs> my motto used to be no one appreciated it was distrust and verify twice. So I had to stop. <laughs> I had to stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of us can well. relate. <laughs> right. So I, you know, just sort of man- meandered my way through the licensing client side um, on the international business work and then um, had an opportunity with, um, you know, with the formation of Vista Outdoor back in 2015 to, to join there and really focus on um, on the compliance and regulatory side and, and just took that opportunity and, and dove right in head first and um, with, with um, rose colored glasses and blinders. So Okay. It's cool. been uh, it's been a it's been a heck of an adventure over the over the last twenty years. Yeah, um, you know, I I always find it so interesting. Um, you know, uh, for better or for worse, it's probably worse. People from the outside kind of have this view of like, oh, that's just compliance. They're just you know fill in the blank. They just write policies or they just tell people right. no or whatever. They have no idea. There's a bunch of really exciting stuff that's different at each company based on how you're structured and what your company's trying to do. And, you know, uh, I'm excited that more and more these days as each, you know, year and month passes, people are understanding the power of a good compliance and ethics program to not just manage risk and keep the boss out of jail, but to push the strategy forward, to push the mission forward, to make sure that things go smoothly so people can focus on moving forward, um, you know, and people being treated right and the company moving forward. And it's kind of different at every company, isn't it, Bob? Uh, absolutely. I think when I um, when I first got into it, you know, really focusing on the compliance and regulatory side, and 
and started patchworking these different functions that were a lot of them were orphan, right? They were mm. they were thrown into some other functional area, whether it's you know finance or operations or whatnot. Um, and then meeting with peers and and having these conversations about like, well, you're also compliance, so what's in your portfolio? What right. are you responsible for? And you know, and, and I'd say one constant was no one's was the same. Right. Um, you know, some of them had, oh no, that's completely separate. Some of it was, oh, I have all of this plus, you know, a whole bunch more. And yeah. and it's just a fascinating um, you know, this approach that that you have such a diversity in terms of people's path into the compliance function, but then mm-hmm. also the areas for which they, you know, they have responsibility for within their within their company and, and how that just shifts and changes from from company to company. Yeah, it is really cool. Um, so, you know, I, we, we don't have to get too deeply into it, but I'm really curious kind of what your team looks like or what, you know, the matrix of people you interact with look like or what kind of the big issues that you're in charge with at CAFCO. Um, can you give us a little sense of what compliance means for you and your team? Yeah, I'd say uh, from a team perspective, it's um, you're almost looking at the whole team. Okay. <laughs> um, so my my boss is our general counsel and you know and has the title of chief compliance officer. Um, but for myself, I handle really the day to day you know compliance implementation execution of the program for the company. Um, I do have a, an employee that works for me that uh, her focus is really on the business licensing. Okay. Um, making sure that our factories can continue to produce and, and sell homes and, and deliver homes throughout the, the different states or you know for where they for where they are doing business, um, and that's the extent of the entire team. Sure. Uh, from a from a powerhouse sounds like a real powerhouse oh, yeah. team. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Decisions are quickly made because there's not a lot of <laughs> a very short flagpole. Yeah, you that's get... <laughs> right. <laughs> not a lot of appeal either. Um, <laughs> But the, you know, the portfolio, it's, you know, it, you know, I have the compliance and ethics, you know, our hotline, records management, uh, information governance, um, policies, uh, as I mentioned, our, our licensing. Um, I also, this is, some, again, these are two areas that are really unique and new to me was I also manage our IP portfolio oh, um, for the company. Yeah. And, you know, full disclaimer, I am not an attorney, never <laughs> went to law school. I considered it when I was little and then I got smart. And said that's not for me. <laughs> okay. Um, didn't have that kind of dedication or focus I okay. think, to, to make it through. But yeah, I have our IP portfolio, and then also um, I handle all of our you know at registrations, you know our um, Secretary of State registrations for all of our legal entities across the company. So cool. It is a it is an interesting portfolio, and a couple things that um, are new and unique to me. But it was it seemed you know again never never going to back away or you know um, avoid a challenge and opportunity. So yeah. Uh, it's, it's been a learning curve. Sure. Um, yeah, that's really cool. And I, you know, I love, I love hearing the story of how different people approach this, right? Like it's very centralized or it's distributed, or we kind of have a small team and do a bunch of committees or whatever. Um, so that's cool just, uh, out of curiosity. And I love the side of it that this industry is just filled with people like you, Bob, who are up for a challenge, who want to do interesting things, who want to make a good impact. And, you know, that kind of looks different in a bunch of different companies, right? Like, you know, if your company had, you know, an IP lawyer on staff or something, that wouldn't be on your plate. But so many people in the ethics community, if something needs to get done and it's not getting done right, we say, hey, you know what? If that's what the team needs, then, you know, I'll figure it out and I'll jump in. And I just, you know, I I love, like, I see that across so many professionals and ethics experts um, in the compliance community that, you know, we're happy to roll our sleeves up and get in and, you know, 
so many of us, we got a, we got a brain in our head. We're smart and we got a heart in our chest and we care. We're smart people who care and we figure out how to get the job done. Right. Well, and I think that's a great point in terms of the, the care. I, I think the, the compliance folks, everyone I've run, I've come across, and I will say this in no offense to my, you know, to my HR partners sure. and friends out there, but the compliance folks are probably the biggest champions of culture for in their company. Yes. Right. Yes. Even more so than in the HR folks. And yep. I think that's why, I think that's why compliance professionals are so interested, you know, in just rolling up their sleeves and taking things on because yeah. they see the value and impact mm -hmm. that those things can have right. on the company. And it's like, well, if no one else is going to take it on and no one else is going to be interested in it, then I'll do it because I see that value. I see how not doing it or keep doing it the way it's been, it, it has been done historically is not going to do anything good for the company and it's going to have a negative impact and consequences, particularly from a cultural standpoint. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I think you know, I, I look at the compliance professionals and, and, and talking to them and attending webinars and conferences and whatnot. And, and they really are the probably the most passionate cultural folks, you know, in the company, even right. more than your C-suite, you know, and, and more so than, you know, your HR professionals. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you said that because I fully agree with it. Um, so I'm glad you agree with me. <laughs> um, no, but it's so cool because, you know, um, I think this perception is changing, right? You know, as people understand what we do, but, you know, e even if it isn't changing, compliance professionals are doing that, right? There's this mix of right. we care about people, we're happy to take on a challenge, and it's this some level of, it's, you know, kind of emotion, you know, EQ and IQ. It's kind of understanding, the, doing this integrated thinking of, well, if this thing doesn't go right, this isn't just a license, and right. this isn't just a, hey, you know, this division might not be able to do this as well. There are people behind this. And if we can build this program, if we can run this cleanly, if we can kind of keep the these rocks out of our boots, then everyone's going to be happier and safer and treated more ethically and things like that. And I think that, you know, more than some other divisions, we kind of see both sides of that, the EQIQ. We see kind of the risk and the people um, and, you know, kind of integrate that together. And I love what you said that, Compliance professionals are champions of culture, maybe more than, you know, you know, many, if not, you know, everyone else in the company. And I think that that's part of where this industry and this profession is going is we're getting more and more shots at being the influencers of that. You know, it's it's not a monolith. It's not only been one thing, but it feels like, you know, 30 years ago, this was just very like legal and regulatory and risk driven. And it's kind of expanded because if you start there, like there are people at the end of all of those things. And we end up being, you know, in some ways, the caretakers of, uh, uh, you know, of the whole organization in whichever way, you know, in, right. in all of those balls that someone gives us to run with. Right. No, yeah. absolutely. I, I think there's there's definitely opportunity, you know, for you know for compliance. And and again, we see most HR professionals you know, are going to see their their piece. Right? They're going to be responsible for a certain part, certain right. segment. Um, and you know, where but as a you know compliance professionals, we are seeing the that larger picture. We are seeing you know right. what's going on across the enterprise. So we have that opportunity and really the obligation, right, mm. to drive that attitude, to drive that culture. Um, and to you know have that impact and make those changes you know that are that are needed to continue the the you know the value add and support to the corporation. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Kind of seeing that bigger picture, right? Because you know there's a lot of work to do in HR if you're in recruiting or you know you're in you know performance reviews or compensation or whatever. So you got to be specialized in that. Um, right. And you know compliance professionals end up having this balance between you know, I'm strong at this and the other eight things I do, I've learned to figure them out. 
Right. Yeah. So let's talk about that big picture a little bit. So we were we were talking about a little bit of this uh, in the green room, but um, you know, kind of CSR is becoming ESG. Maybe that's maybe my my point, not yours. Yeah. But you know, this yeah. thing of the company should do the right thing. You know, publicly. You know, like a lot of times. I think historically ethics and compliance is not very outward facing. We're not like putting, you know, public pronouncements out. We're trying to make sure everything kind of inside the four walls, plus maybe vendors or something is going well. Um, but, you know, this is kind of in some ways becoming the face of compliance plus a bunch of other things, right? Like, uh, you know, right. EHS is part of ES ESG and all of that. Um, but, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, I think you, you've, you've worked for, with companies who have kind of a, you know, a view and an interest in social perception, you know, maybe on that CSR tip, but, you know, also mm -hmm. I think you have a view on this ESG movement, which is in some ways getting talked about a lot. People are trying to figure it out. Maybe it's gaining steam, maybe not. So what do you think? Yeah, I, I think the, it's not surprising to see the CSR, you know, in evolving into, you know, into the ESG, right? If a company's had a, you know, the CSR, you know, program, putting out their reports on an annual basis, you know, it, it makes logical sense that their next step is going to evolve and grow, you know, into that ESG. I right. mean, there's no short of, there's no shortage of companies out there evaluating um, publicly traded companies on their ESG, you know, whether it's Glass Lewis or ISS, um, you know, and, and now it's a matter of, um, you know, are they actually doing it? And I mean, I think I probably get at least once a day an email from somebody, you know, talking about some conference or webinar or something they have coming up that's, you know, talking about ESG. Sure. And, you know, and, and as we were discussing, you know, earlier, I have a, I do have a, a bit of a different take than a lot of these when I, when I attend these conferences or when I even and see them is, you know, yes, there is definitely, um, you can, you can see it in terms of some of the proxy fights and, and whatnot, um, where there are some very interested, um, you know, uh, shareholders and investors and, you know, and activists. Um, but I think there's also a lot of, you know, overbroading and, and I heard this phrase, you know, greenwashing, right. That's, okay. that's sort of a new phrase that's been cut now has come out with regards yeah. to ESG where right. everyone talks about, Oh, of course I, you know, I'm going to reduce my carbon emissions or I'm going to go net zero or, you know, no slave labor, sure. whatever it may be, or all of the above. Um, and, you know, because they think it's going to get them points, you know, with a, with an investor or, or whatnot. But it's, you know, I look at it twofold. One, not all investors are caring about all their, uh, all the companies that they've invested in equally. Okay. okay. Um, you know, I think there's definitely, a, you know, if you're, if you're in fossil fuels or in another industry, you know, um, extracting minerals, there's, you know, there sure. definitely is a lot more interest there, right? Yeah. Um, but when you talk about other industries, other, um, you know, companies, there, you know, you might have the same, in, you know, same top five investors. Um, but they are not going to have that same kind of interest in, in you, whether or not mm. you're, you know, regardless of the size of your company, regardless of how many, you know, what percentage of shares they own of your company. Sure. Um, and, and I don't think it's necessarily a, a matter of those, you know, um, those advisors or those holders not caring. It, you know, it, it, it might be an extension of that. And they say, well, that's just not an industry that's that really going to move the needle for us if we okay. don't push the same kind of, expectations and requirements from an ESG standpoint right. to them as we would, you know, an Exxon or an Apple or right. Yeah. Um, the like, so I think there's, there's definitely a bit of that where, where you can't just blanket statement that, you know, I'll pick on BlackRock because they've definitely been, the, they are definitely the most public, right. As a, as an um, investor, I mean, they have their own, 
you know, organization within the company that's looking at, you know, that's dedicated to looking at their uh, companies they invest in from an ESG perspective, as well as their own ESG program and, you know, within, within their um, advisory services. So, but they're not looking at, I don't see them looking at every one of their um, invest, every one of the companies they invest in equally. I see um, what you're saying. So when, so when you go to these conferences and seminars and you have these broad, you know, declarative statements that says if it's going to eat the have, world exactly yeah. right if you don't, if you don't have you know if you're not claiming your you know you're going to reduce emissions and you're going to have an activist advisor come you know shareholder come in and they're going to take over your board and they're going to do this and that and it's, like, it's just not happening right you know um there you know it's just not gonna it's just not the reality of the situation sure um and i think there's you know you also have companies i think companies are looking at it you know themselves as the you know, it's, it's another nice thing to do, or it's another right thing to do yes. and trying to find that right balance between, you know, that what's that real value, okay. right? Like what, you know, cause you don't, no shareholder, no company executive is going to be happy if you just say, Hey, we're just dumping millions of dollars into these initiatives, but we don't actually see any kind of, you know, any kind of return in that. And that right. return doesn't need to mean like my profits are going up and my margins are increasing. You know, that return can be, I have happier workers. I'm, right. My retention of my workers are, are staying, yeah. right? Like whatever that might, you know, whatever those returns might be. Um, you know, so I think companies, there's a lot of companies trying to figure out what that, what that balance is. How do I, you know, how do I move the needle or how do I even start the process with, with regards to, you know, ESG mm -hmm. um, that's actually going to have some type of meaningful impact. And, and again, it goes to, and then you put that next to what I was talking about in terms of the, your, your investors who haven't really shown any interest in what you're doing from an ESG perspective. And that just becomes, you know, really, uh, I think it becomes a harder sell for companies okay. to management and to the board to say, hey, we have to go invest in, you know, in this initiative, that initiative because of ESG, right? Mm -hmm. We've got to increase our recycling. We've got to reduce our, you know, carbon, you know, our greenhouse gas emissions. We have to do all this and it's going to cost X amount of dollars. And, and the question becomes, well, why? And it's like, well, because of ESG, because yeah, I heard ISS something gives us from Black Oars. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and, it, you know, and it's one of those things, like, but they've never brought that up, right? Like, right. We've, we've had shareholder meetings and it's never, it's never come up. There's never been a, you know, a proxy fight. There's never been, you know, anything. So you do have to try to find that balance between, um, between what you want to do or, and I think the people that are doing the programs, and I think, you know, Jim, as you mentioned, there's a lot of different functions that are involved and it usually does seem to fall, you know, if there's not a dedicated organization to ESG, you know, compliance seems to be a piece you know, where uh, an area where it falls or yeah. communications, marketing. Um, but I think there needs to be a better sell of that, you know, yes. and I think that goes back to what I was saying before in terms of the cultural piece. Um, you know, if you want to, if you want to do these initiatives, you know, giving back to your communities, charitable contributions, um, you know, those kind of, you know, those kind of actions that are really going to, you know, um, tie your employees to, to your business and keep them there and say, Hey, I'm proud to work for this company because of what we do in the community, the community I live in, mm -hmm. right. It's got to be meaningful. And, you know, and we've got to sell that, you know, to management, you know, in that way, you can't go in and say, well, because BlackRock at some point, you know, <laughs> you know said this on their website or they're going after somebody else we better start doing this here it really right. gotta be no that's not that's not gonna that's not gonna get anybody's interest they're gonna be like get out of here <laughs> um 
but tying yeah, even if you went to a uh, compliance conference session about it. Right, exactly. I, I sat on this webinar for an hour and they told me this. <laughs> We've got to do it now. Yeah, that's um, yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because, I mean, obviously it's a topic, right? You said you maybe get like an email every day about it or something. Uh, yeah. People are trying to figure it out, and I mean, I think you know what's kind of interesting, maybe just you know intellectually, philosophically, maybe you know more pragmatically, is just like how unformed it is, right? It's this thing that right. there's this high level of interest and high level of uncertainty about it, which to me sounds like opportunity, right? Like there's probably something yep. in there that we can run our program better or something. Uh, but also if you kind of have this restricted mindset of like, oh, people are talking about it a lot. I need to go reallocate, you know, 80 grand or 200 grand of my budget to, you know, now doing this thing, you're probably kind of off base, right? And I think a lot of people maybe right. see it more of that black and white um, when, you know, that high level of uncertainty, a bunch of people do it differently. You need to come at this with an understanding of like, why should we care and do we, right? Like, how right. does this apply to us? Is it, you know, is it equally ESG or what? Um, right. So, you know, I, I get what you're saying. Like, investors are not a monolith, right? It's not, it's right. not just like all <laughs> investors are looking at all investments with the same, you know, rubric and all of that. Um, so I get that. And I, I agree with you, Bob, that there are, there is some maybe hand-waving or over-attribution of like how important this is. But I do think it's an interesting kind of sea change that may be happening. And, you know, part of the way I like to talk about it, and, you know, since since you have a kind of healthy dose of balance around this, I'd love to hear what you think about this, Bob. You know, I think that this is a new thing that necessarily overlaps. I don't know if it's 20 or 80% with stuff that we're doing in compliance that has like a fresh perspective on it, right? So, I think that there are a lot of times where people have been going to the board or the CFO or the execs and saying, hey, we should do this program. We should be compliant with this. We should build an ethical culture. And they've maybe said, ah, you know, if we're not going to get a fine, then we're not going to do anything. There may be a chance to go and advocate for something in an ESG framework. And it doesn't mean we're going to start and we're going to spend, you know, all of this money in the next five years just doing carbon footprint and then we're going to move to the next thing. But you might say, hey, you know what? These things we're doing are ESG, right? Like, we're training people about how to not discriminate. We're doing governance by how we manage our licenses or lack, you know, not do fraud or whatever it is. We're doing a bunch of this. So we're, you know, if if you guys want to say it, we're already, I don't know, 20, 40, 60% of the way there to being an ESG company. And it might just kind of like change the conversation a little bit because it's not, you know, it's not a fight over, well, does investor relationship, investor relations or marketing or software development or, you know, R&D or compliance get the next 20 grand, it's like, well, hey, we're all trying, you know, everyone has an interest in this, so let's become more ethical in whatever makes sense to us, right? To your point, Bob, not just like right. some vague investor said to do this, so we're going to do it, but let's step forward to be a more ethical company. I think it's interesting that that conversation might kind of fall on more receptive ears with an ESG framework instead of a like regulatory compliance and risk framework. What do you think? No, I, I agree with you. I think the I think any publicly created company is already going to look at the the G part and say, nailed it, right? Okay. Like, check that box. <laughs> yeah, right? Starbox so has been around for 20 years. Right, right. It's like, so I'm, I'm already a third of the way there. Um, and then when you start looking at, I think the the environmental, right, the E part of this is, I think there's a, I think there actually is an easy sell in most companies, almost every company, right? Okay. Any company who's manufacturing anything has to deal with waste. Sure. Right. You're you're gonna you're gonna produce something. You're gonna have some kind of scrap waste, whatnot. You know, at the at the end of that production mm -hmm. um, activity, 
And so to find ways to, you know, to upcycle, recycle, reuse, right? Um, you know, all of that becomes, hey, I'm going to, instead of throwing it into a landfill and you're not, and you don't, you're not selling the idea of, hey, I'm just trying to keep it out of a landfill. You're selling it as, hey, every time we get one of those dumpsters emptied, it costs us, you know, five grand. Exactly. Right. If I can, you know, and that happens three times a week. Well, if I can, if we can utilize this material in an other fashion, or we can sell it to somebody else who has right. a use for it. Well, now that dumpster is only getting emptied once a week. So I just saved you 10 grand there. Oh, by the way, when we, when we take the pieces that we're not putting in that dumpster and we're now selling it to somebody else or giving it to somebody else, we're now either collecting money because we sold it or we're going to end up, you know, our tax department's going to be all over that to take the tax right off because exactly. of the donation. Right. Um, and then you also save the five grand per dumpster. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I think there's, you know, there's opportunities there from a, from, you know, from an environmental standpoint that becomes, you know, that's the low hanging fruit, right? Sure. You know, we, Hey, we can, we can get some, you know, you know, show some progress and improvement there. And at the same time, the cost becomes neutral or I'm um, saving the company some dollars or heck, maybe in the end, you're making a couple of dollars off of the whole process, yeah. depending on how it all works out. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the, the other part of the, you know, environment, I think the environmental part, and you know, we just lump together, you know, is the, is safety. And I know that sometimes depending on the organization, they lump that into social. Sure. But I think when you're talking about within your organization and you talk about, you know, the environmental, you're dealing with, you know, you are dealing with some, most companies are probably dealing with some kind of toxic chemicals or yep. other items. And so, you know, again, you don't want that dumped into your groundwater or, you know, um, or whatnot. So yeah, I, I, again, I think, you know, and this is the general safety of the employees. So I think that's another one where there is, you know, there are some low hanging opportunities for employees, you know, for companies to say, Hey, we're already doing that. Or, Hey, there's some programs we can implement that are going to actually be beneficial to us right. and our bottom line, but at the same time are going to help from an environmental standpoint. Yeah. I think the one that companies, I think the one that companies probably struggle with the most is, is the S is the social. Okay. Um, you know, you see, you know, and I don't know if you've seen this, I stumbled across it actually the other day where, you know, the McDonald's CEO, right. Is in okay. hot water because of a text he had sent to the Chicago mate, you know, to um, Chicago mayor Lightfoot. Um, you know, back in, gosh, I think back earlier this year with regards to two you know, youths that were, you know, that were murdered, you know, you know, shot. And, you know, and again, here's, here's a, you know, McDonald's corporation. I don't, I think you would have no problem finding, you know, them all over the place with regards to ESG and, the, you know, and, and all this. And then here's a, here's your CEO who's really stepped in it right. with regards to, you know, some comments that, you know, that he made or he put into a text to the Chicago mayor. Right. Um, so I think there, the, the social one, that's why I say, I think that that one's a little more, more, more difficult for, for companies see. to say, because they, everyone wants to say the right thing, yes. right? We support this. We believe in that. We're all for this. Yeah, there's a lot more but, nuance. Right. But then their actions don't necessarily live up to it. Okay. Or, right. The organization may say that, but you know, you always hear the old, what was the old adage, right? Tone at the top, yes. right? Like, you can't get much more of a tone than from your CEO. Right. Right. And when mm -hmm. he's, you know, when there's those kind of comments or, or, or you know, uh, text put out there that sends a very clear, you know, message right down through the organization. That's interesting. So. Yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't know what you meant at the start of that. Um, cause I was like, well, I think everyone, you know, cause I think there's a lot of compliance that's already doing a bunch of stuff that's social, but you're saying the nuance in it. Um, and, and I get where you're at because we did a, uh, uh, my brother and I did a session 
um, for a conference on social greenwashing, right? And it's this thing yeah. of like, it's so much more nuanced, right? Like for E, it's kind of like you're dumping chemicals into the groundwater or you're not, right? And someone's going to be right. like, yeah, please don't do that. And for G, it's like, do we have protections in place to make sure that things are managed properly? And, you know, that, you know, like not a lot of people are quibbling whether you should be preventing fraud, right? There's maybe some right. discussion around how much you should invest in it or whatever, <laughs> right. but hopefully we're not arguing how, over how that. Much, how much fraud is a good enough fraud? <laughs> Just right enough. amount. Just right. enough. Just like uh, the pepper in the dish. Um, uh, but, you know, I get what you're saying on the social. I think we all want to be good to people, but how people interpret that is different, right? You know, and right. it becomes so politicized and it becomes so, well, I think that you should be this way. And it's like, well, you know, I don't know. So I get what you're saying that um, be because, you know, this came up in the comments in this conference that we ran and it came up in, you know, people being like, well, I don't know how much to step in that. Like, I don't want to get into this battle. I just want to be good to people and do our work, not, you know, try to pick a side in this battle. Um, so, yeah, they can be fraught with some of that uh, uncertainty. Right. And did I say the wrong thing? And I said this with the best intentions, but then it, you know, it turned out wrong because I didn't know that that offended somebody. So it's kind of a minefield, huh? Right, right. Well, and and when you have these large corporations and they put out, some, you know, depending on what where they're trying to take their stand or what they decide, that's the that's the mound I'm going to go plant, you know, plant my flagpole on. Right. You know, you're always going to you always run the risk that you're going to alienate somebody. Right. right? You're always going to alienate some portion of your of your customer or employee base. Right. And you know, and I, and I and I'm not just trying to discourage companies from doing it. No, you know, making those decorative statements. Right. You know, and just understand and appreciate that what that means or what the repercussions of that could be. But I think, but I think companies are also they're shooting from the moon, right? Mm. When you know, when they really just need to be shooting for you know down the street. Yeah. And, and I use that almost as a literal sense, right? Like, yeah. Take a step. Get, like, where can you get, get in back. a month? Not where can you get in ten years? Right. And and really start focusing on on your employees. And as I said earlier, like, you know local get yeah. local yes right if you're you know if, if, instead of trying to say hey we're going to go try to solve you know uh, racism in america you know um no why don't you look at programs that are going to have an impact and maybe they you know maybe they are equity and you know and equality programs mm -hmm. but locally in your community where your where your operations are where right. your worker workforce is are you doing enough for them in right. their communities to you know to help in that you know um instance versus this large declarative statement um and you know and that's sort of the the end of it or like oh right. we donated millions of dollars to this organization or that organization <laughs> none of which may ever get to any community where you have employees right. Uh -huh. right and i think your employees you know um again this goes back to the culture and, and the retention right if, yep. if you're implementing programs that are that your employees can actually see because you're doing it in their communities where they live you're immediately going to you know increase that you know yeah, that pride, that culture of that of that workforce, yeah. and you're still making that same social impact. And I would argue, in some instances, you're probably you probably make a greater social impact, in, you know, by an actual doing that. one, and an actual one that you can <laughs> clearly identify. And, and again, it's not about measuring and getting points on the board. Yep, you know, it's, it's truly about right. It shouldn't be. Yeah, <laughs> but it you know, but to be able to say, hey, look, we're doing this, and. You know, and our employees are happy that we're doing this, and you see that pride and excitement, and you know, in in your employees. Yeah, um, so I'll get off my soapbox on that one. You know what? Just <laughs> you know, stand up a little straighter on it because uh, I'm he I'm here for it. <laughs> but I love that perspective. You know, I mean, and I think that that's that's part of why I'm an advocate of you know, and you know, like 
I'm having conversations with different people around uh, the profession around this. I'm an advocate for compliance stepping into this because, again, yes. not to overgeneralize or roast anybody or whatever, but if – you know, it's kind of like that thing you were talking about. If someone is just focused on like HR slash compensation, they may not get the full picture. If ESG is just run by investor relations, they're just going to be wanting to, you know, again, overgeneralizing, but just want to like make sure that we can put a nice, you know, 15 page slick, uh, you know, report out. So investors will like it. And, you know, I think a lot of employees care more about like, are we actually making people's lives better than like, you know, right. I mean, <laughs> you know, what percentage of your, you know, here's a question. If you have an ESG statement or booklet, what percentage of your employees have read that? Probably right. less than five, right? And what, right. but what people actually care about, like what's going to drive, you know, la you know, lack of turnover, attract, you know, attracting and retaining talent, people just being proud of what they're doing, just you doing the right thing. It's that thing of like, is it actually impacting people? And listen, right. I'm sure, you know, investor relations or if marketing does it, you know, I've heard of people hiring marketing firms to do an ESG program, um, and all of that is fine. You know, you're, you know, someone in that mix on that committee probably wants to do the right thing. But I think that mm -hmm. compliance pros are ha, are in a great position to say, hey, this whole thing needs to be authentic. This needs to be right. integrated. This needs to get to the people who it should serve. And, you know, we may not be, you know, environmental health and safety professionals. Uh, you know, we, we may not, you know, you know, have a doctorate in sociology or something, but we can probably help run a program that's going to actually impact people. And that's part of why I think, hey, if ESG is about to, you know, let's just say in 10 years, it's going to matter a lot more for at least 20% of companies in the economy. If that's happening, I think that, you know, compliance and ethics should be at the table. Absolutely. Um, so let's jump to something else. We got a couple more minutes. Um, let's talk a little bit about speak up culture. That's, you know, it's big for us. Uh, we care a lot about it. I think it's a big piece of unlocking a conversation within a company around, you know, what is our culture? What's going wrong? What can we do better? Um, you said that that's, you know, um, you know, your kind of reporting and speak up culture is, is something um, that you stay close to and manage. Uh, talk to me about, you know, what that looks like for you. You know, feel free to brag about, you know, any wins or what you're working on or anything <laughs> like that. I am um, actually just finished up a, um, I had a conversation earlier this week with our head of our president for manufacturing. So the gentleman who's responsible for all of our factories okay. um, about getting out um, and doing a refresher for our, for our code and okay. for our, um, our hotline and speak up. Yeah. Um, I'll say, you know, the company um, we're not quite at, you know, at uh, I'd say average with you, you know, all the different benchmarks you look at yeah. from different companies and reports in terms of how many reports per, you know, per hundred or per thousand, whatnot. Um, and, you know, and, but at the same time, I mean, it's a question that comes up you know, you know, almost every quarter from our board, you know, and from our management team, um, you know, with regards to, you know, what are we doing? What do, what do we think the causes are, you know, and, and reasons are for that? Um, you know, we, we, we know and acknowledge that right now there's still quite a few that, you know, aren't, aren't making into the system, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's those, it's, those it's always going to be that. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, it's somebody went to their manager and, you know, and the manager took care of it. Right. Yeah. They, you know, they went and spoke to the employee or something, you know, something happened or they went to their local HR professional and, you know, and, and we're not trying to discourage that. Right. We, you know, what we're saying, you know, in our approach is we want you to continue. We want employees to continue to do that. We just need to know about it. We need right. to get those put in through, you know, through a proxy into the system yep. so that we have that data so that we know where we need to focus our efforts and energies 
with regards to, you know, training awareness trends. I mean, I've had, you know, I've had the business, you know, you know, business leaders ask, you know, for that data because they say, hey, as we're traveling around to the different facilities, we want to know that so that we can have those conversations right. with the with the site That's management cool. and when we get in there. Right. So I love that they're asking yeah. about it. Like, hey, yeah. you can, you know, hey, compliance guy, you can help us jump in, Bob. Right. That's awesome. Absolutely. And so that's why we're, you know, I'm going to be hitting the road hopefully later this month to to start doing some of that refresher in-person, you know, um, training and to be able to sit down with, uh, you know, with business management at each of the sites and, cool. and just go through this again with them and say, hey, this is why we have it. I mean, we have posters and banners and, you know, in break rooms and in the factories and whatnot, but um you know, and, and, but just to get out there and really put a, you know, and, and try to demystify it a little bit more and try yeah. to encourage the, the, you know, the continued and, you know, and, uh, engagement from our, from our facilities with regards to it. I think the biggest challenge, I think the biggest challenge we, you know, I've always encountered, this is now the second time I've had to, you know, um, revamp a, an ethics program or hotline program. And the biggest thing I always hear is, you know, is the retaliation and confidentiality. Oh yeah. Huge. Yeah. It's always, it's always the biggest issue, you know, where employees are afraid that they're going to be retaliated against yep. that, you know, that they're, whoever they're reporting against is going to find out that they, mm -hmm. they're the one that came forward with a concern. Um, and so trying to overcome and, you know, and give employees that, you know, that peace of mind that, Hey, that's not how the program works. Right. I'm here and telling you that that's not how the program works. I'm, you know, I'm committing to you that that's not how we're going to operate. Um, you know, but at the same time saying, Hey, there's, you know, in certain situations it's, it's unavoidable, you know, right. like if you're, if you're, you know, filing a concern regarding an incident that happened between you and one other person, it's, you know, no one else was present. It's pretty hard to keep it anonymous, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> not a lot of anonymity that can occur right. in that situation. So I, I trying to get out there and, you know, and, and make employees feel comfortable with engaging with the system, right. Um, you know, and, and feeling comfortable and confident they can come forward and that it will be handled in a, in an appropriate, you know, a discreet manner is, is really the big push um, yeah. for the upcoming year. Yeah. I mean, um, every company deals with that, you know, the, um, the, the stats are kind of horrid. I, you know, just across the economy yeah. that like, I don't know, something like 80% of people that report something, uh, you know, experience retaliation, at least in their perception. And, you know, right. I mean, I think the tough thing, Bob, is that there's, there's kind of the layer of the actual, right. The, you know, the, the, the hard reality of like, this is what anonymous means. And if you submit a web form, we don't track your IP address or whatever. And then there's all the perception around it of like, you know, right. at, you know, a job I worked at eight years ago, someone got retaliated against. So I guess management always does that or whatever. And then you have to fight against that perception, um, which I think is great that, you know, I, I can tell by the way you talk about this, Bob, that you have an eye on people, you have an eye on culture, and you have an eye on kind of the integrated way that this all works. It's the conversation they have, the training that they have, the reminders that they get, and all of that. And it's a tough, um, it's it's it's, a, it's tough to affect that change, especially quickly. But also, if your eyes are on it, and I can tell you care about it, I I can tell that you and your team and your company are trying to figure it out. You can change the uh you know the direction of that ship. You can change that perception over time. Um, and there are a bunch of different ways to do it, which, you know, we love kind of nerding out on here at Compliance Line. Um, but, you know, it's so important because that's the way to unlock a bunch of the things that we want to do, right? We have to know about the problems. We have to fix them. We have to tell people that these problems get fixed here. And then they think, okay, I can speak up about problems. And also, like, that's great that these problems aren't happening as much anymore. And it really kind of 
you know, it, it can kind of start to become a flywheel as as you kind of cross from mostly skeptical workforce to, you know, you know, largely, you know, at least, you know, willing to engage culture. It starts to get a lot of things unstuck, which is exciting when it happens. It takes a lot of work. It You know, you can't beat it into right. people's heads and just, you know, I'm going to send you five emails every Wednesday about this and then you'll believe it. But, uh, you know, as you do it, I think it you know, the, the return on investment or just the, the positive impact that it has on your culture is hard to quantify, but however you quantify it, it's massive. Right. And I think, I mean, for us, I'd say 80% or more of our workforce, um, is, is manual labor, sure. right? They, they don't have computer access to, right. you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised some, you know, there's probably a good portion of them who may not even have a smartphone or right. a mobile phone. Yeah. So for, you know, for us, it, the opportunities to, to engage with them are really limited, right? Sure. There's the only way to, the only way to really is to get out in front of them or mail things to their homes or, sure. so, you know, you've got to be, we've got to be creative in, you know, in how we engage them and we've got to get our, you know, our local management and leads and supervisors you know, comfortable with the information that they can, you know, communicate that to their, you know, to their employees through, you know, through stand-up meetings, through yep. monthly all hands, whatever that is, however they engage with them. Um, but, to, you know, really get them emp empowered so that they can communicate that through, you know, through that touch labor, you know, that manual workforce it's, that I can't send five emails to on Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, that's such a good point. So um, as we wrap up here, Bob, um, any any parting words, anything that you want to tell to our audience of ethics experts and compliance pros, any encouraging words you want to leave uh, the group with? I, I will just say, I mean, we are all fighting the good fight. So, yeah. you know, just, just keep it up. Um, there are definitely days that are more discouraging than encouraging. Sure. Um, and, you know, and don't give up on those and, you know, and just know that you're, you're definitely not alone because there's a, a large cadre of us out there. And, yeah. you know, and I think that, you know, we continue to, to grow that army, you know, on a daily basis. So yeah. keep it up. Awesome. I love it. Well, how about that guys? How about that? You've had Bob Shuttler here telling, telling you to keep fighting the good fight and to hang in there because there are a bunch of other people doing it and we're all getting better and we make each other better when we do it. So thanks for tuning in to the ethics experts today. Thank you, Bob, for joining us. It's been great to have you on. I appreciate you sharing your insight and your genius with Thank us. Uh, this has been another episode of the ethics experts brought to you by compliance line. I'm your host, Giovanni Gallo. We'll see you next time.